Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. I also host the podcast Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, which you can listen to if you need your literary fix fast. This podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight, is for anyone out there who wants to feel better in their bodies like I do. There's a private support group that I started on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. And all of us share tips, suggestions, recipes, meal ideas, and generally just give each other lots and lots and lots of support so that it isn't so hard to do what should be simple, but somehow isn't. So please listen to the podcast, hear stories from people just like you who have struggled and overcome things and have ideas and suggestions. And let's just do this together. We got this. Thanks for listening. Lara Metz, MSRDN, CDN, is a veteran dietitian and food lover dedicated to improving the health and well-being of others through nutrition and lifestyle counseling. Launched in 2015, the goal of Lara Metz Nutrition is to empower clients, improve their energy, and encourage them to have a healthy relationship with food. Lara prides herself on listening to clients' strengths, weaknesses, and overall nutrition goals. Together, they develop a customized nutrition plan that is both achievable and sustainable. Prior to launching Lara Metz Nutrition, Lara worked with her close friend and mentor, Carrie Glassman, at Nutritious Life for 10 years. She was the first full-time dietitian on staff to earn the Nutritious Life Certification. Lara holds a master's degree of clinical nutrition, as well as her RDN and CDN certifications from New York University. She is a member of the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, Greater New York Dietetic Association, Nutrition Entrepreneurs, Weight Management Dietetic Practice Group, and Women's Health and Reproductive Nutrition Dietetic Practice Group. She has a Bachelor of General Studies from the University of Michigan. Lara lives in New York City with her husband and her official taste testers, her two daughters. Welcome, Lara. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I like, I'm following you. I love everything you're doing and I love to share my passion and expertise. So it's fun to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So tell everybody about how you got started with your whole career and why, why did you go into this line of work? What drew you to it and how did you get here? Today. Okay. So <laughs> loaded question, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll share. Okay. Graduated college, went to university of Michigan, did not major or study nutrition at all. I came back to New York where I'm from. I had a random job, which was great. First job, fun, but kind of knew that was not going to be my passion or long-term career. I always loved cooking. I can remember as a little girl, like always wanted to be you know, wanting to be involved in, in dinner prep and what we're eating. And like, as I got older, I loved reading cookbooks and magazines and kind of thinking like how I can revise recipes. But I also, when I was in college, like I 100% like put on all this weight. Like I'd never had an issue with my weight growing up. I'm tall. And I just never had that. I just never did. Wasn't something I struggled with until I went to college. And I think that, you know, it's like all of a sudden, like everything changed. And I wasn't per se like overweight, but I definitely put on a lot of weight for me. And I didn't know how to get it off when I graduated. And I was like trying all these different programs, never really dieting, but like becoming more conscious. So I I should have told you that in the beginning, but so now I'm like having this about this job and I'm like, all right, I need to like kind of figure out. And I was young, like I'm 21, but I kind of knew I wanted to have a career but I knew I wanted to have kids and I wanted to figure out like what I could do and, and be flexible. And I was like, you know, I love 
cooking. I like, I want to be healthy. I'm trying to like figure this out. And I was like, I'm going to apply to NYU to be a diet, like a registered dietitian. And I literally knew nothing about the program. I like called, I met with someone, I applied, I got in. So I basically repeated college for a year because I had, didn't have any of the prerequisites. And then it was real training, three and a half years of school. And I worked in the hospital, did all the training. And kind of that's, that's sort of how it started. And it wasn't this wow. like lifelong dream, but Just it's now, I mean, I've been in private practice for, I think, 16, 17 years now. So it's become a real, a real thing. <laughs> it's really- oh my gosh. Wow. So did you have a type of client in mind, like, like while you were in school and when you first got out, were you, did you have like an expertise in mind or when you, when you started accumulating all the knowledge, did you think like, okay, this is how I can really make an impact? Okay. So that's a great question. I knew I didn't want to work in a hospital, like as much as the clinical is fun and super interesting and you really can help people. Right. I knew that I didn't want to meet a new onset diabetic and give them, you know, give them some education meet them once and I'll never see them again. And I didn't feel that I would be able to make a big impact when someone's first being diagnosed or I didn't want to do tube feeding in a hospital. It wasn't what I wanted to do. Not that it's not super important and relevant. I prefer that. Like I, I think I'm more of a people person. Like I prefer the relationships. I wanted to build relationships with my clients. So I knew that private practice was for me so I could be, you know, develop those long-term relationships. And I have clients that I've been working with for since day one you know, that, that, that really do, you know, become a part of your life and come back and, you know, you might not see them for years and they pop back in. And I like that. I wanted to be able to feel like I was really making a long-term impact. I see kids all through adulthood, all adulthood, more kids now than ever, interestingly enough, more adolescents. And my, you know, I, I primarily focus on weight loss, but general health and wellness with families, family meal planning. Like I'm, I'm sort of obsessed with bringing people back to the dinner table as a family. So, you know, I do a little bit of everything, (laughs) but I'm not like, I'm not like, I don't focus on diabetes per se, but I can help, you know, anyone with cardiovascular disease or gastrointestinal issues or pre-diabetes, but really more general nutrition and health. And I really do feel very lucky. I've, I've, I've sort of found my niche in what I do. Like there's lots of dietitians and lots of dietitians are doing great work. I focus not only on the food. So anyone that's listening, you know, maybe you've been to a dietitian, maybe you haven't, maybe you've read 10 diet books, who knows? Very often it's very food focused, but I focus on the food coupled with behavior. Because I think that if you just focus on food, you're putting a bandaid very often on what the real issues are. And do you do you delve into the emotions behind it, like why we eat and you know the family sort of inherited stuff and all of that? So a hundred percent. So when I meet with someone for the first time, I do a full intake, and one of the questions I always ask is like, "What was food like growing up?" Because we all know that that is so you know deeply impacts our adulthood and the choices that we make, and and for those of us that are parents, the choices that we make as parents as well. And I see a lot of that, and I I'm. I work so hard to work with parents right now to help them develop a family food culture. So you're probably looking at like, well, what, what are you talking about? Like, no, yeah, what, okay. yeah, what is that? What is a family okay. food culture? So like, another question I like to ask, and people are like, what are you talking about? When you got married and had kids, did you talk about religion? 
how you wanted to raise your kids. Did you talk about schools? What schools? What was what kind of education were we looking for? But did you ever talk about what food was going to be like in our family? Do are we going to be vegan? Are we kosher? Do we want our kids to eat all organic? Do we want to sit at the table for meals? Like people don't talk about that. And I think it's a real, a real miss because there's this piece of the puzzle that really is missing when we don't talk about that because then it's like we're all over the place. And I want to help people. And it's not too late if you haven't done this, right? I, I mean, you could always, you could always start now. <laughs> but, and I'm not saying that like my husband and I sat down and like had this deep conversation about it, but it was more of an organic process. I knew that like, I wanted to be a family sitting at the table, having dinner together. I didn't grow up having that every night and I craved it. I knew that I wanted to cook and get my kids involved in cooking because that was important to me. I knew that I wanted my kids to be involved in it. I wanted them to be involved in meal planning. I wanted them to grow up having this tool and being empowered to do so because I work with so many young adults who don't know how to do this. They're going to college. They don't know how to, to pick out what they're eating for dinner. And it sounds so simple, but they just don't know how because someone's been doing it for them. Nobody ever empowered them to make these choices. Hmm. So you mean like whose night is it to pick the meal type of thing? Or just having general discussions about it or like, what do you want to eat? What do you like? Like, what sounds exciting to you? Yes, let's go to the grocery store or like, like help us make dinner. You know, do you serve your, I, I mean, back to the family food culture, do you serve your food family style? Do you eat as a family? Do you serve your food family style or is it plated for everybody? Do you have food rules? Like we don't in my house, like I don't believe in rules in the house that like when you could have dessert, when you can't, that's just not something that I grew up with that or that I have in my home. But these are conversations that just aren't happening and they should be happening. One more thing about kids. Yeah. And then I also want to talk about grownups, but if you don't have any rules, right? So I have four kids and they all have different preferences and some might do better with no rules and some might need more structure or some, like if I said, you can eat all the chocolate you want, some of them might be able to say, okay, like I've had this and now I'm full and some might not do that as easily. Like, what do you do with that? It's very hard. The more kids you have, because the more different they often, like they're, they're often very different, but you don't want to make one child feel that they are separate, that they're different, that they have different rules than the rest of them. That's really important because that will like, that will have a last, a lifelong lasting impact. I believe everybody should be eating. Like I say this and then I'm like, wait a minute. I, what did I do for dinner last night? <laughs> In a perfect world. I think that if we look back and if we interviewed people, you know, 30, 40, 50, you know, more, years and years ago, were they, were these parents creating 19 different meals in their house every night for dinner? I'm thinking probably not. And we are living in a culture right now where we have empowered our children to get whatever they want. They don't like fish. Well, then don't worry. We're going to make you chicken. You don't want the peppers. Don't worry. We're going to make, give you broccoli. We have allowed this. And I'm just as guilty of it. You know, I really am. I don't have a restaurant. I don't want to be in the restaurant business. And I don't want to be a short order cook. So, you know, I'm trying to, I've tried hard to get my family into a place where, A, we find meals that everybody likes. But if you don't like it, then you have to make yourself something. I also found that, like, if I'm making a cooked vegetable that not everybody is going to eat, I always have a raw vegetable plate on the table because somebody will eat it. Yeah, and like, we do that. 
Right. So it's like, I don't even know if I'm answering your question. I'm just, I, I have so much to no, say. I'm interested. I don't know. So I'm just like say, but like, it's like, this is about kids, but it's really also about adults because I think that we we're living in a culture where everything is at your fingertips. Like, like living in New York city here, like, I mean, or anywhere, you know, you can get anything you want at the touch of a button. And our kids are being raised like that. Like they're so used to, I want this. Okay. You can have that. I want to go to Starbucks. Okay. Go to Starbucks. Uh, you're laughing because <laughs> I get it's it. True. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have FYI a Starbucks day. So we don't, we, of the week. So it can't be like on the menu all the time. FYI. And obviously, this okay. is like a position privilege to even like go to Starbucks regularly. But yes, I mean, to your point about different rules, like just FYI, like my mom would not let me eat like all the cookies and she would like hide them from me and give them to my brother. And like, I'm sure she was doing the best that she could and whatever, but like now I kind of overcorrect and I'm like, here you go. <laughs> I will right. keep all this in the house and you can have it whenever you want. And maybe that's not good, but I feel like so much of parenting is in reaction to whatever has been done to you. A hundred percent. But like, think about yourself and all the moms out there. Like, what are your food? Like, what are, what are all of our food issues or body issues or whatever they may be? Yeah. And like, so much of it is like, you said you're overcompensating by giving to your kids, but like you were set up to be deprived in that way. You felt it at a young age being deprived and you felt that cookies were a bad food. So in my practice, in my home, we don't use words as good, bad. We don't use words as fat or skinny. We don't use words like that. We don't label like those words are forbidden and clients come in every day. I already saw four clients this morning. Every one of them labeled foods as good or bad. And I said, we don't label goods and foods as good or bad. They, and when clients say to me, well, can I have that? I said, you can have whatever you want. I said, but you have to determine how does that food make you feel so much. And you asked before about like the emotional, like there's so much emotional food is so emotional. That's why you can't just talk about food. You have to delve into the emotions and the reasons we're eating and choosing foods and take that moment and stop and think, well, how does food make you feel? How do you feel when you eat the bagel with cream cheese versus the apple? Most people think, I don't know. I just eat it. Right. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I wasn't thinking, you know, like we are living again. I'm like very into like culture and society. We're living in this culture right now where there's no, like, I think the pandemic was different, but I think we're on the other side of this now where we're just eating. We're living, we're eating. We're not stopping. We're not breathing. We're not putting any thought into what we're eating, why we're eating, how do I feel when I'm eating? Am I enjoying it? Like I think so much of the enjoyment is taken out of food. It's true. And everybody's in such a rush. So do you still feed that love of cooking of yours? Like do you manage to cook for your family all the time? And if so, like how do you work that into your busy schedule? I okay, so the I've never been more organized with food and meal planning than I was like last spring, like during the pandemic, because I had no choice. I wasn't going to grocery stores, I was having my food delivered and I had to plan. So that was like the and I've always been pretty good about it, but I'm not like a type A person. And I think that hopefully like many of the people listening to this like might think, well, I'm like the most type A person in everything in my life, except when it comes to food, or except when it comes to feeding myself. And I try like the weeks where I plan, it's great. The weeks where I have my groceries ready to go, it's great. The weeks or nights when I don't, then it's like, uh-oh, even with me. 
So last night I knew what I was making. I was out all day, but I was like, okay, I know it's, I know it's in the fridge. I know what I'm making. I'm going home and I'm just going to get it done. And prepping, prepping is huge. And, and because I don't like, do you want to wash and cut lettuce at seven o'clock at night? I don't. I don't want to wash and cut lettuce period. Ever. <laughs> so, I hate I, dealing with lettuce. Honestly, like, I don't, I mean, it's so stupid. Like, I don't mind cutting lots of like peppers and cucumber, like any other vegetable. I'm fine. I just like, I don't know. I feel back. I think about like that salad spinner that I used to have growing up. And that was it's like, a, yes. I mean, it's like, I'd rather like order in a salad. It's so stupid. Cutting lettuce is annoying. So it's the kind of thing that if you want to have lettuce in your house because you want to be able to eat a salad and you don't want the lettuce to rot the back of the refrigerator, you need to prep. So I always tell people, make do your plan, make your grocery list, do your shop, and set aside time to prep before you're cooking during the week. Yeah, that's smart. So for people out there who may have put on a few pandemic pounds and are now coming onto the other side of this, but also, I mean, there's so many different things. Like there's so much culture now anti-diet, right? Like don't diet. Diets are bad. You'll never keep the weight out if, if you diet. And there's all this emphasis on body positivity, which is great. But then what if you have gained weight, you don't actually, it makes you feel bad, right? So how do you not diet, but still lose weight, not feel deprived, not have a lot of time, <laughs> And, and accomplish these goals. And there is no one size fits all diet, program, lifestyle. Every, we're not robots. And I think like I always tell like my clients will come in, okay, or, or a new caller will call me and say, well, how much do you think I'll lose in the first two weeks? I'm like, I don't know. You're not a robot. Like, I, I don't know. So we, we do need to lose this whole, you know, idea of diet because diet equals deprivation equals Maybe immediate success, but long-term failure. So I do not believe in dieting. I really believe in looking at the person as an individual and trying to say, okay, where where am I? What am I doing great? What are my weaknesses? And like, how can I take those weaknesses and take them up a notch? Like, it's not about what you can't eat. It's about the food that you can eat and learning to listen to your body. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. So if I ask you or anyone that's listening, you know, are you in tune with your hunger? When you begin a meal or end a meal, do you even know if you're actually hungry, comfortably hungry, or end comfortably satisfied or stuffed? Like, do you even recognize that? Most are, are people, you me? Yeah, but, but, most, <laughs> but, but most people don't. So yeah. like most people just are not mindful. And what I've been talking about with most of my clients right now is like, recognizing that food is fuel, but it's also pleasure. When you go on a diet, you don't have pleasure in your food. You feel like you're being deprived. I don't want anyone to feel deprived. I want you to love your food, love yourself, love your body, become more mindful. And a byproduct of that should be weight loss. The number one goal should not be, what's the number on the scale today? Am I losing weight? It should be measured by, wait a minute, am I being mindful? Am I feeling satisfied? Am I feeling hunger? Feeling hunger is a good thing. Most people don't. And a byproduct from learning all of that is losing weight. That doesn't mean we don't do weigh-ins in my office. That doesn't mean I don't ask people to keep a food journal. We don't talk about food and I don't recommend specific foods and the best packaged foods on the market. We do all of that, but it's not only measured by that. Hmm. What about sugar? 
Like what's the, what's your two second thoughts on sugar? Because I know that can be a downfall asking for a friend here, you know, who, when you can get very addicted to, like, it feels like an addiction. Right. And I know for me, you like many other people, like, that's how I, like, I look forward to my little sugar doses throughout the day. And I like the thought of giving it up and I have done it in the past, sort of cold Turkey, no more sugar. And like, after you get over it, after like, whatever it takes, I understand you can like get back into that state, but then it always ends. Right. And then you end up back with the sugar thing again. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that kind of behavior, like the all or nothing behavior is, is the problem because it's like, I'm not having it. I'm being good. Okay. I started having it again. I'm being bad. So I might as well just keep having it. And I think that we do eat way too much sugar in our country, but I eat sugar. I do not eat artificial sweeteners though. So I do not drink anything that has an artificial sweetener. I do not drink sweetened beverages. I do not, and I don't recommend this to my clients. I don't, but I will eat a cupcake. I will eat a cake, piece of cake at a birthday party. I love it. I enjoy it. That's one of my indulgences that I absolutely love and adore. I love dark chocolate, but, and you notice when you're eating dark chocolate, really great, high quality dark chocolate versus eating milk chocolate, which does often have added sugar to it. You take, you see the difference. Like I can't stop with the milk chocolate, but I can stop with the dark chocolate, but it's about allowing yourself, giving yourself permission. You're not giving yourself permission is my guess. You're just eating it. Give yourself permission to enjoy the piece of cake. So I always tell my clients, use a cup of hot tea as your anchor. So if you use hot tea as your anchor and you sit down, how many people listening, I'm sure have said, I'm not going to eat the cake. I'm not going to eat the cake. And then when no one's listening or excuse me, nobody's watching, you go to the kitchen late night and you stand up with a fork and you start eating the cake. You didn't give yourself permission. You sit down. It's a very different experience than standing up, eating it, you know, feeling guilty about it. So, and I think just the last comment about on this is really choosing the highest quality foods that you can that are going to have sugar. And when you stop eating all this processed sugar and this junky food, raspberries, this is fake, but it's, I mean, these will actually taste sweet. They don't taste sweet to the average person who who is eating tons and tons of sugar, added sugar in their diet and drinking tons of artificial sweeteners. But this should taste sweet. It's true. That happened to me the last time I kind of gave up sugar. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, these strawberries are so sweet. I can't believe it. <laughs> right. It's nature's, it's nature's candy. It's so, it's so yeah. true though. You know, it's, but you're right. Like some people do feel so addicted to it, but it's, Chew all or nothing. And like, it's about choosing the right, like eating candy, just like junky candy. There's no nutritional value. You might have it sometimes. Great. Like, I'm not telling you never to eat it, but you're not getting any nutrition from that. Like it's doing nothing for you except spiking your blood sugar. Then you're going to have a crash and be hungry again. So trying to food, choose foods that taste sweet and give you that satisfaction that you're looking for, but that are also going to, you know, give you some nutritional value and help stabilize your blood sugar a little bit so you don't get that crash. My go-to right now is dark chocolate covered almonds. I love that. <laughs> and that's great. But how are you eating them? Are you standing up? Are you are you taking a handful and standing up and walking around? Are you running into the kitchen, taking another handful, going getting on the phone? Or are you plating them and sitting down? I actually 
you would be pleased to know. I have these like tiny little ramekin things. And so I pour a few in and then I bring it up to my desk and then I go back to work and have like coffee and like chocolate covered almonds in the afternoon. I love it, but my only tip would be be mindful when you're eating them. Because if you're on the computer, I'm like, I'm pretending to type, and you're like doing this or you're on the phone, like, were you mindful? Did you actually enjoy it? Or all of a sudden they're gone and you're like, wait, when did I eat those? Yeah, that's more like that. <laughs> so that, so actually, I think if we've learned anything from this pandemic, I hope it will remind people to slow down. More and more people have been working from home. I, I hope people will like slow down and remember to breathe. Breath is so important. I mean, I sound so like <laughs> hokey, like, but it's so important that we breathe and we, like, I forget to breathe. You need to breathe. You need to like take a moment of calm before you eat. Okay. Maybe. Like, <laughs> no, truly. Breathe for a moment. No, I know you're right. Don't look at the computer for, for two minutes. Don't look at the computer. Drink your tea, eat your chocolate. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're like, I mean, I'm, do- I'm, do- I'm done with Lara now. <laughs> no, not at all. No, you're, you are, I mean, you are right, of course, in everything you say. You know, I try when you're talking about like higher quality foods and blah, blah, blah. Like sometimes with the kids, when they want, you know, a bagel or something for a meal, I'm like, you know, you just ate like a pile of flour. Do you know what I mean? Like, or like pasta or something. I'm like, you just ate a big bowl of flour with like a little, you know, if this were, if the ingredients were in front of you, like, do you think this is going to sustain you for the whole day? Like you need some protein in there, you know, like get something else. So I don't know, at least for me, sometimes I can trick the kids and me into understanding it better by like breaking down the ingredients and kind of visualizing what they're actually eating when like, you know, the, the pancake is so great looking or whatever, but I don't know. That's my only. So <laughs> No, but, or you can try and make higher quality, like you can make pancakes that have protein in it, or you can, you know, get the kids making them. I can give you recipes. There's products on the market. Like it's a lot of this is confusing for consumers. Like there's so much misinformation out there and there you go to the grocery store, you shop online. It's confusing. It's confusing mm-hmm. even for a dietitian because there's so much, in, I mean, there's so many products out there. So how is the average person who's not trained supposed to really know what to buy and what's healthy? Because the food industry is tricking us. So it's low fat, it's organic. Well, just because it's organic doesn't mean that it's good for you because it can still be filled with organic gums, you know, and stabilizers or sugar or whatever it may be. So, you know, it's, I think asking yourself or asking your kids, how do I feel after this meal has my energy? It's a good question. Excellent. So if you had some parting tips for other people who are just not feeling good in their bodies, what can they do? Okay. So I think you need to take a moment. First, you need to take out a pen and paper, write down one thing you love about your body. And that's number one. We have to start off positive. One thing that you really love about your body. Okay, great. Check. Ask yourself, are you drinking water? Good old water. We need to hydrate. Our bodies are 50 to 75% water. And when we are dehydrated, our bodies often think that we're hungry, but we're really not. We're just dehydrated. And with all the mask wearing, it's harder to drink water when now things are, you know, the the mask mandates are listening, but it has been harder to drink water when you're out. So are you drinking enough water? And then ask yourself, okay, let me think pre-pandemic. What am I doing differently now? Or what did I do differently during the pandemic in terms of food? Maybe were you on that banana bread bandwagon that most people were on in like the first three months, right? Making every different, you know, iteration of banana bread that you could and eating it. It was delicious. Are you 
eating because you're stressed? Are you, you know, are you not preparing? Those of us who just aren't prepared end up making poor food choices. Are you waiting all day and banking all of your calories for later in the day? Are you eating your first meal at three o'clock? Well, that's a problem because your, you know, your metabolism is stalled. And then by the time you have your first meal, you're ravenous, you make a poor food choice, and you're likely to overeat. So it's a it's a, a great question, but there's not one answer because everybody's different and everybody has a different relationship with food. So it's really doing like a self-reflection on what what is your relationship with food and don't try and tackle everything in one day. Pick one goal to work on, truly, one goal. And once you've you know kind of made progress progress with that first goal, choose a second goal because otherwise you have these grand ideas, you think you're going on a diet and you'll set yourself up for, up for failure and you'll likely gain it back and feel worse. Okay, excellent. <laughs> a lot of a lot of information, and no, not diet, not dieting. I get it. No, it's great information. It's great advice. It's actionable and not overwhelming. And personalize and- it. Like we talk about personalized medicine. Personalize your own journey. This is your own journey with food and your health, and personalize it. It doesn't matter what your friend's doing. It's what will work for you. Okay, chocolate almonds. Here I come. <laughs> By the way, I promise today when you're eating your chocolate almonds with your cup of tea, you'll be sitting down and you will be mindful. You'll be focused on this. I'm, Let I'm me know how it goes. It. I will. Let I'm me know how it goes. Selfie, I will take of it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, thank you. Thanks, Laura, for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. If people want to find you and follow you and all of that, like how can they do that? So I'm on Instagram, Lara Metz Nutrition, or I have a website, laramethsnutrition.com. And I would love to hear from you. Ask me questions. Call me. Awesome. All right. right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Bye. Oh, good. I'm so glad. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight. Don't forget to follow the private support group at Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight on Instagram. Thanks.